Chapter Three of the Clog Shop Chronicles by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hanging his hat up. The doctor had given our sire Josiah up, and humanity and ordinary neighbourliness, to say nothing of higher considerations, required a becoming manifestation of concern on the part of Becksiders. But it was uncommonly difficult to do in fact it required constant self-repression to conceal the presence of quite opposite feelings and when sam speck related to jabe and long ben how that doctor a rather hot-headed young fellow had stamped his foot and sworn because he had not been sent for sooner declaring at the same time that nothing could save the patient now the news was received with looks which came suspiciously near to malicious satisfaction this neglect to call in the doctor was so exactly characteristic of our desire and his miserliness that its fatal termination was recognised as retributive and everybody in beckside believed in retribution old josiah had begun life as a farm labourer then he got on to keeping a few cows then he had taken gravel hole farm and one day he surprised everybody by buying actually buying outright a small milk farm called the fold which stood on the opposite side of the road to the clog shop as you turn the corner to go down to the beck but thrift had degenerated into penuriousness and then into miserliness and finally into every kind of meanness in zaya he gave up his pew at the chapel and sat on the free seats he was only present on sundays when there was no collection a fourpenny bit was the highest contribution he had ever been known to give to any subscription and when he withdrew from the beckside string and reed band sam speck declared he gien up fiddlin to save the expense o rosin when his wife died aunt judy declared that she had been natter to death with his closeness his two sons had both run away from home and were dead and his only daughter nancy had left home and was a weaver at the mill when zaya died though every tongue was still in the presence of death and the women all sighed as they talked of it from sheer force of habit nobody pretended to any particular regret and some ignoring the immediate cause expressed their satisfaction that nancy would be weel off now when at the tea after the funeral old jabe absent-mindedly started praise god from whom instead of be present at etc nobody saw the grim humour except perhaps the young doctor who went out rather hastily with a very red face Nancy was just bordering on thirty, a rather tall, straight young person, whose homely, comfortable face was sharpened by a hard line or two about the mouth. Everybody had sided with her in a rebellion against her father, and everybody felt a sort of relief from moral responsibility when it became known that her father had not carried his resentment to his grave, but had left her sole legatee. Before old Josiah had been long dead, people began to speculate about Nancy's future husband for though they had treated with mild surprise the fact that such a likely wench had not got married whilst she was a mere weaver now she had become a freehold farmer single blessedness was not to be thought of with beasts to care for and a farm to manage marriage was at once a necessity and a duty a few weeks after the funeral aunt judy was tacking a super tay with nancy but though full of the subject of the young woman's future she feared to venture far until assured that it would be agreeable she led several times but nancy somehow wouldn't follow ah well she said with quite a demonstrative sigh looking steadily into the fire life's full o changes wench 
we don't know what a da nor an arm may bring forth as the book says now said nancy in a most provoking non-committal tone and there'll be more changes afore tears art hinted judy with the smallest catch of significance in her tone i reckon the will asserted nancy but she went no farther well i must go wench said judy rising from her seat thou mun keep thy heart up thy nose ay dear she continued fixing her eyes on the wooden partition near the door she was approaching and looking directly at something she saw there oh, i see thy feyther's owd at sangin on t peg here yet and then with a significant sidelong glance at nancy i expect there'll be a young felly's billy cock hangin up there afore we're mitch owder but mind what thou'rt doin wench i expect thou'll no spend thy harpney at fust store no no aunt judy the mon as hangs his hat up on that peg a latter be a mon aw can tell you and nancy smiled a quiet humouring smile as she opened the door for judy as if hastening her departure after judy had gone the quiet smile still lingered on nancy's face and she sat down before the fire and was soon in a brown study very soon all kinds of rumours flew about beckside anent nancy's matrimonial prospects and as there was a rather large proportion of eligible bachelors and widowers the supposed competitors for her hand were many now it was luke knowles who was the happy man he was rather owd but as a substantial yeoman was in every way suitable and then it was billy bumby the coal dealer who was the only man in beckside who had shares in a bank but as billy kept flying pigeons that is homers it was a moot point whether nancy wouldn't be rather bemeaning herself for though billy was very well off to keep pigeons was to be a publican and a sinner then it was confidently stated that the young doctor was after nancy and a day or two later the doctor was supplanted by the mester's son from the mill now as old jabe was a confirmed bachelor and at all times cynical and abusive on the subject of women as sam speck who was in matters of opinion a mere echo of jabe was a widower whose marital experiences were supposed to have given him ample grounds for sympathising with jabe's extreme views and as long ben was known to everybody as a woeful example of the henpecked husband it will be supposed that the clog shop club took little or no interest in nancy's prospects and perhaps under ordinary circumstances it would not have done but then nancy's farm stood nearly opposite the clog shop door and the front of the house as well as one end and the road leading down the fold to the farm premises were right before you a little to the right as you looked through the clog shop window and could even be seen as you sat by the shop fire besides nancy had long been a member of jabe's class and was the leading second singer in the chapel choir which of course laid some responsibility on our friends as to her future happiness whatever the reason nancy's prospects were a matter of curious interest at the cloggery never a trap turned the corner into the fout never a creak was heard at nancy's garden gate never a bang of her front door but the old clogger lifted his bald grey fringed head over the low board that separated the window bottom from the shop and sam speck stepped nimbly to the window end nearest the counter to look sam as a sort of henchman to jabe always spent a considerable amount of time at the clog shop but about the period of which i write he seemed to be constantly there he also took to slipping on his saturday afternoon coat on ordinary days and greatly scandalised his sister by putting on shoon which were always supposed to be especially reserved for sundays and festivals 
Sam was a short, small, made but very natty man, and always neat in his appearance. Just at this time, however, he became quite vain, but was so busy gathering and discussing the village gossip about Nancy and her future, and so animated, not to say excited in his discussion of it, that the change in his get-up passed unnoticed by his chums. Early one afternoon, when Jabe had just finished his after-dinner pipe and resumed his work, Sam sat on the end of the long stool that jutted out from the ingle-nook, lost in profound meditation. Presently he began to hug his knees with his hands, leaning back as he did so, and looking at Jabe as if he were making some intricate calculation of which Jabe was the subject. At length he said, "'Who's more nor an ordinary wench who is?' "'Who art talking about?' asked Jabe gruffly. "'I'm talking about Zaya's Nancy, and what I say is, as who's more nor a common woman.' This was said with such unnecessary warmth that Jabe took a sort of hesitant glance at Sam as he asked, "'What said who want? The felly as has her will have a fortin in his wife, as well as we are,' continued Sam meditatively, and ignoring Jabe's question. "'Tack of this hell, then,' was the rejoinder. "'Well,' he replied, hesitating, as if he knew he was giving himself away, but didn't see how to avoid it. "'I might do war.' "'What?' shouted the clogger, enlightened at last, and rising to his feet in indignation and scorn. "'That there, Arta, thy yawny, at thy age, too,' he continued after a pause. "'I'm noan so owd,' snapped the would-be bridegroom suddenly sensitive on the point of age oh, i'm twenty year younger nor thee ay an hundred year is sense o up thou matherin owd madlin thou finding no sympathy or even encouragement to talk sam left in a huff and for the rest of the week the clog shop saw him not on monday however he was back in his place and confided to jabe and owd lige over the fire that marriage were a big risk after all them's the best off as there's nowt to do wi' it this and his resumption of clogs and ordinary wearing apparel created the suspicion that sam had axed nancy and been refused which was confirmed by aunt judy who was supposed to be in nancy's confidence and who reported that sam had been in nancy's on sunday afternoon and had come away wi' a flea in his ear a few days after sam's discomfiture and whilst he still wore a pensive and chastened air Job Sharpies sidled into the clog shop. Job was a sharp-nosed man with a little hard mouth and red eyes that were suggestive of chronic catarrh. He had a clean-shaven face and was quite fifty years of age, and was a pork butcher and cattle jobber by trade. He took snuff and had a hesitating manner, which was supposed to conceal a dogged, tenacious will. He stood for a few moments before the short counter, pretending to take a survey of the contents of the window-bottom, but in reality he was counting Nancy's cows as they were being driven into the fold to milk. Presently he remarked, "'Them clugs o' had t'other day has split, Jabe.' "'T'other day!' cried Jabe, always on the alert where Job was concerned, and never greatly in love with him. "'It's six months in the Adam, if it's a day.' "'Eh, is it so long?' replied the visitor, whose cue it was to conciliate rather than provoke. "'Ah, time flies. But,' he added, unable entirely to repress his natural weakness, "'now lasses na as it used to.' Saying this, he sauntered to the fireplace, and was soon comfortably seated on one of the stools. Then he began to balance the poker on one of his fingers, 
whilst jabe with a darkening countenance became suddenly very violent amongst his tools banging them about and making a most unnecessary clatter job waited a moment or two took another pinch and then setting the poker carefully into one corner as he spoke said "Or reckon tha knows all bout sally's arses ay answered jabe shortly and in a tone of strong reluctance as though he were acknowledging something to which he objected but which he could not help job took up a handful of chips from the corner sprinkled them slowly on the fire dusted his hands one against the other and then proceeded in a conciliatory tone of voice oh'm noan so badly off tha knows jabe for a becksider now the pig-dealer was noted for a constant cry of poverty and jabe was therefore uncertain whether to take this unwanted admission as a mark of special confidence or as an introduction to something yet to come so he was silent joe blew his nose scraped together the chips scattered on the hearthstone with his feet walked to the end of the counter nearest the window and took another long look at nancy's house and yard walking back to the fire but sitting down on the stool nearest to jabe he leaned forward and said in a low coaxing tone dost think owd sire's property had out on it and jabe laid up mental lacerations for himself by answering oh no nowt about it let's see thain five cars and a bullock anna they and the dogger suffered further inward humiliation as he replied oh tell thee oh no nowt about it na jabe none o thy forciness but jabe had perjured himself sufficiently and commenced hammering an obstreperous clog-top as though he would knock a hole through it job had recourse to the snuff-box again and turning to the fire sat looking into it and ruminating deeply then he got up once more stepped behind the counter and over to the clog-cutting bench which stood against the wall at jabe's right hand sitting down uneasily on this he said in a loud whisper jabe owd lad oh'm going to put up for nancy jabe looked dangerously like hitting job's bullet head with his hammer but he checked himself and was about to speak when a new idea seemed to strike him and after clearing his throat he said with a very poor attempt at a smile thou'll ha to be sharp about it that was enough and whilst the clogger was struggling with the fear that he had added fresh sin to his soul job was pressing him with eager questions what dost mean by that Wo's t'others a more in time dost think that in time if i goes na was the answer jabe started to his feet to go at the door however he hesitated took another long look at the fold through the window playing nervously the while with the latch at last he said who's a soft-spoken sort o wench isn't a jabe so so was the reply the pig-dealer slowly opened the door and stepped into the road in a moment he was back however Zaya left it all to her didn't he jabe who else could he leave it to away went job sidling past the window and going a few steps up the road before he crossed it so as not to appear to be going direct whilst jabe dropping his hammer rose to his feet and stood back a little so that he might see his visitor go into nancy's without being seen himself just as job reached the garden gate sam speck stepped into the clog shop eh cried jabe in a stage whisper come here sithy sithy and pointing through the window at job fumbling with a refractory gate latch he drew sam behind the counter and into the shade where he could see without being seen 
by this time the pig dealer had reached nancy's door and when he was admitted jabe began to hop on his unequal legs about the shop crying i wouldn't a missed this i wouldn't a missed this for aught brass owd sire ever had sam seemed to enjoy the situation quite as much as jabe though probably for a different reason and when in a few minutes they saw job emerge from nancy's door and stalk down the short garden path looking so abstractedly before him that he nearly fell over the gate and then from their vantage point standing back saw nancy's comely face all beaming with fun peep out from behind the curtain at the retreating form of her would-be husband the two sat down and guffawed and grinned with unalloyed satisfaction jabe taking off his apron and adjourning to the chimney corner to discuss the matter in all its details something strange must have been in the air that day for drawn by some occult influence first one and then another of the clog shop cronies dropped in until the ring round the fire was complete and the host had to tell his tale over again each time a newcomer arrived job being heartily disliked by nearly all becksiders his discomfiture was the tit-bit of every feast of gossip for some time and in fact it was only forgotten when another piece of news had put it out of people's heads soon after the event just recorded there sprang up in the village a rumour that nancy was going to be married nobody seemed to know how it had originated but jimmy juddy jimmy son of george who was only an occasional occupant of the inglenook stools happened to be there when sam speck brought the news to the clog shop and he immediately adduced confirmatory evidence in the fact that he had just come from the fold and had received orders to fettle the place up inside and out upstairs and down but who was the happy man and here rumour was absolutely silent that there was to be a wedding was now certain for aunt judy had taxed nancy with it and she had not denied it but all attempts to get at the name of the bridegroom had utterly failed once indeed when aunt judy and sally waters had cornered nancy and there did not seem any possible escape for her she evaded it by saying as judy reported that who weren't gradely sure who hadn't axed him yet but as this was clearly a joke nobody paid much heed to it sam speck declared himself out of all patience with jimmy juddy because night after night during his labours at nancy's where he must perforce be in constant contact with that lady he assured the members of the club that he'd neither seen nowt nor yeared nowt this was all the more remarkable because though the men spoke of jimmy as soft-hearted he was known to be a great favourite with women his quiet almost womanly ways procuring for him a great share of the feminine confidences of the locality jabe and the rest though not so severe on jimmy as sam yet were fain to confess that he certainly hadn't made the most of his opportunities but it was like jimmy he was too mild for anything and whilst all gave him more than the average share of personal affection most were ready to subscribe to jabe's oft-repeated declaration he'd a getten on better in life if he'd had a bit more spunk in him jimmy was a social failure beginning life with something more than average opportunities he had made nothing at all out a middle-sized mild-mannered fellow with an arm partly disabled by rheumatism he was already going down the hill of life in spite of hard work and a great personal popularity he began life as the bookkeeper at the mill which gave him a status among the better end of the beckside population especially as he would do their private bookkeeping for them at that time he was considered to have excellent prospects 
and no one was surprised when a boy and girl courtship sprang up between him and Zaya's Nancy. But one day Jimmy was dismissed without notice, and no explanation of the matter was forthcoming, either from the masters or from the bookkeeper himself. But it was said that old Zaya had put his foot down concerning Nancy and Jimmy, and I am now revealing for the first time a secret when I state that Jimmy, in a painful interview, would give no explanation to Nancy, and so there was an end too of that. All this was years ago, and since then much had happened. Jimmy was considered to have wiped out his disgrace by rescuing a little piece of from the top room of the mill during a fire, at the risk of his own life. On this occasion, the excitement of his effort and the drenching he got with the water used for extinguishing the flames threw him into bed with rheumatic fever and permanently injured his health, unfitting him for hard work. Then the smallpox came, and Jimmy, who had become a sort of handyman, whitewasher, jobbing painter, and even chimney sweep for those sufficiently well off to afford the luxury, served as Long Ben's assistant in coffin making and undertaking until he went down himself with the plague and barely escaped with life. Altogether, Jimmy's had been a sad career, but he was a cheerful, willing, kindly fellow, and in a quiet way a general favourite, whilst his old mother and paralysed sister simply worshipped him. Jimmy was busy, cleaning, whitewashing and painting Nancy's premises for several days, and at last worked his way down into the front kitchen, which for general convenience had been left to the last. The kitchen had formerly been larger, but it was now divided into two, the end nearest the clog shop being partitioned off to make a small best parlour. Attached to the partition was a thick peg, ornamented at the front with a short cow's horn. Mun not tack this peg down? asked the painter, as he prepared to paint the partition. No, tha mun not. The monas is coming here'll want to hang his hat there, replied Nancy. Now Jimmy had been several times on the point of sounding Nancy on the mystery of her approaching marriage, and here was a direct challenge. But after stealing a long side-look at her, and forming his lips two or three times as if to speak, he lapsed into silence and went quietly on with his work. During his labour at the fold, he had not seen much of the proprietor, but now, as he was in the general living-place, they seemed constantly together, and anybody but Jimmy would have noticed that though she bustled about a great deal, Nancy was really doing next to nothing, and was constantly hovering about him in a quite suggestive way. Once or twice, indeed, in explaining her wishes, she had come very close to him, and had brushed his whitewash-spotted cheek with her frizzy brown hair. But Jimmy was used to women, and his mind was rather preoccupied by a little domestic anxiety of his own, and so he thought nothing about it. A stranger listening to their fragments of conversation would have thought that Nancy was trying to draw Jimmy, but the poor fellow saw nothing, and the questions he had previously asked were intended more to furnish information for the clog-shop inquisitors than to gratify his own curiosity, though that was not quite dormant. It drew near to tea-time, and Nancy became really busy. In fact, Jimmy could not help noticing that her preparations were much too extensive for a party of one. She had brought in a great piece of cheese, toasted several slices of bread, reached down a plateful of oatcake from the rack over her head, and was searching the depths of a cupboard for what turned out to be a large pot of blackberry jam, when the painter began wiping his brushes on the edge of his paint can, saying as he did so, "'Oh, go to me baggin' and come again in t'morn.' "'That'll do now to sort. 
Got thy see o' makin' some tay? Thou'll have to finish to neat. Dost think o' want thee here till Christmas? Jimmy looked surprised, but the women were all kind to him, so he resigned himself to the inevitable. When they had said a blessing, and Jimmy was pouring his tea out of his cup into his saucer, as was the correct thing at Beckside, he nearly upset it upon his paint-stained trousers, as Nancy abruptly commenced. "'Thou hasn't axed me who I'm going to have?' The painter smiled sheepishly, and answered, "'No.' Somehow the pause that followed felt rather awkward, and it struck Jimmy that his silence might be taken for lack of interest, so he ventured, "'Nobody seems to know who it is.' "'Let em find it out, then,' was the reply, and Nancy's eyes began to dance with fun. Jimmy was stuck again, but as Nancy seemed to be expecting him to go on, he said, "'He's not a stranger, is he?' "'No. He a born i' the clough, but not a becksider.' "'Yeah, a becksider,' and Nancy laughed out. "'As to known him lung. Yeah, all me life.' Jimmy felt uneasy, and would gladly have stopped. He scarce knew why but Nancy was so evidently pleased to be questioned, and so openly invited him by her manner to go on, that there was no help for it. So he resumed, "'Do I know him?' This question really did seem to disturb Nancy, for a crumb went down the wrong throat as she swallowed her tea, and led to a violent fit of coughing, and the painter felt absolutely compelled to get up and slap her between her shapely shoulders to help her. When she'd recovered and heaped Jimmy's plate with muffins again, she came back to the interrupted conversation with, "'Well, I don't think thou does know him greatly. At any rate, thou doesn't think much about him.' Jimmy was simply bewildered. It wasn't like Nancy to have anything to do with a doubtful character, so at last he said, "'Well, or what is a greatly, mon?' Greatly, and her flashing eyes suddenly softened into a strange tenderness, he is that he's a hero the woman's in love wi him at any rate thought the painter but nancy hadn't done he's one o' them scarce chaps as conna get on for helping other folk to get on and there was a curious break in her voice and she got up to seek something on the high mantelpiece which she never found ay said jimmy with slow incredulity and he began to run his mind over all the eligible Beckside males who could be said in any sense to be heroic. "'A hero, thou says?' he queried. "'Aye, as out to a head, to Royal Society's medal, more nor once to my knowledge. He's no mitch to look at, and he's welly lame with the rheumatis. Oh, oh!' and there were tears in Nancy's voice. "'Od, I'd rather have him, nor to Prince of Wales.' Jimmy was sitting straight up in his chair, and looking at her as if he had fears for her reason. He had heard many women's confidences before now, but this... But Nancy was speaking again. "'He's clemt hisself for money a year for the sake of an owd crater and a badly doubter at the beck bottom yond.' But Jimmy had jumped to his feet, his mouth wide open, and his face bathed in sudden perspiration whilst the smothered, buried, but ever-living love of a lifetime came welling up in his heart. "'Nancy, that doesn't mean me!' And there the two stood, Nancy with blushing, tearful face buried in her hands, and Jimmy looking about him as if he were expecting an earthquake. Then he took a step or two back, and shaking his head with solemn earnestness, said, "'Now, now, Nancy, 
Aw'm fain to see that same as they allis were, but it munna be, it munna be. Why munna it be, she said, lifting her head out of her hands with a look of sudden fear and anger. That young and bonny, and weel off, and aw'm poor, and my arm's welly stiff wi' rheumatism, and aw'll soon be done for. If thou talks like that about being done for, aw'll, aw'll smack thee o' the face, and Nancy really looked like doing it. Then there's me owd mother, and our Alison. Well, I want them more nor I want thee, and Nancy looked quite triumphant at her own double-barrelled retort. There was silence during which Jimmy stepped slowly backwards. Thou knows, Nancy, if thee were nowt else, thee were that other thing thou knows on. What thing? It's past twelve years sin, as thou told me, when o geet sacked, niver to think o' thee till o cleared myself and aw never have thy nose. Cleared thyself, and Nancy flew across the floor, and seized him by the shoulder as she cried, Jimmy, thy nose, and what he knows, and when he left for Australia a fortnight sin, he told me in this very kitchen, as thou's carried his shawm for twelve year to save him for jail, and his wife and childer for the Bastille. I've never thought o' nobry else, and when I heard that, I said o'd mat the ammy, and I will, I will, and the push she gave him by way of emphasis sent him spinning against the cupboard door. What they said and did after that is nothing to you and me, gentle reader, but they talked a long time, a great happiness filling poor Jimmy's heart such as he'd never felt before. When he rose to go, for there was no chance of being able to finish that night, Nancy called him back. Jimmy, she said, what? Thou's never kissed me yet. Kissing was reserved for children at Beckside, and was at the best of times a very rare thing. But Jimmy made up for twelve years of enforced and bitter abstinence before he let his sweetheart go. Once more Jimmy began to collect his paint-cans to depart. Jimmy! What? Is that tart thou allus wears? Aye. Hang it up o' that peg, then. End of chapter 3